0: Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My2Sense Podcast, hosted by G2. This is where I talk to you guys about everything that happened within the world of professional wrestling, whether it comes from WWE, AEW, Impact Wrestling. And this week I will be talking about New Japan as well because they had their New Beginnings event that happened last week. And that was Will Ospreay's final appearance as a full New Japan contracted wrestler. Uh, I'll talk more about that towards the end of the show, but. I do want to start off with TNA because TNA really didn't have much this week to really go down. I mean, they had their weekly episodic uh, show. I mean, you could really skip that this week because nothing really truly happened. The only thing that I will say to probably highlight was that uh, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, they went against the Grizzly Young Veterans in their uh, continued the series of the best of three. And now we're both 1-1 and... They're going to be facing off against one another next week. I believe it's next uh, Friday on their No Surrender pay-per-view, where whoever wins their next match will be the TNA World Tag Team Champions. So Chris Bay, Ace Austin going against Grizzly Young Veterans. Uh, Is there anything else that really happened on Impact this week that really needs to be discussed? Nothing really. Um, The show, again, it was really easy to watch. Nothing really more to dig into. I would say the behind the scenes still continuing this week. Scott Damore, he was released last week. Uh, More news and more reports have been coming out how uh, the TNA roster, they weren't too happy about getting a Zoom call last week about Scott being released and how they weren't Please buy it, but you have certain people within the company saying, hey, guys, let's just give this new regime a shot. Let's see what they can do. That's been the reports coming out of it, so we'll really see the effects of it, truly, uh, next Friday, because this is next, even next week's episode is going to be airing, as was already taped some weeks ago. So, literally, the true start of this new regime without Scott Moore in TNA will be happening next Friday. Hopefully, they can get Scott Demore back in TNA, because again, TNA kind of was, um, uh, this new rebrand was with Scott D'Amore, the fans, the wrestlers, they kind of saw Scott Demore as a guy kind of leading the charge for this new rebrand, this new uprising in TNA, and he had this goodwill and faith from not only the wrestlers, but from the fans, and without Scott Demore being there, it's going to be a real interesting, uh, landscape to see how TNA continues to go on especially with some of the roster members not being true happy with him being on but we'll see about that in the upcoming weeks within the uh, TV tapings and even the pay-per-view to see how it goes and again I'll talk about that more probably not next week because again this is going to be taped but the week the following to see how it all comes about but anything else in TNA news uh nothing else um, let's get to AEW. I'll save WWE for last because why not? Uh, in AEW this week we had AEW Dynamite went on. We had John Moxley going against Dax Harwood. They had a great match to open up uh, Dynamite. John Moxley he would beat Dax by choking him out with the bulldog choke. Uh, Dax would go out. Dax would. Tap out, John wouldn't let go. This would lead to Cash coming down to beat up on John. And then you see Claudio coming down to uh side up with John Moxley. So you see the Blackpool Comic Club beat up on FTR, even just like lay them out completely. This sets up for their match next week in a tag matchup of FTR going against uh John Moxley and Claudio also on Dynamite. You still had to continue Asian of Samoa Joe, Hangman, and Swerve. They had their all three men face to face confrontation in the middle of the ring. And we still have this thing where Hangman is. He's still obsessed with Swerve. Swerve is still obsessed with the AEW World Championship. He's not making this personal. It's all about business to him. He wants to be the AEW World Champion because that's the goal in wrestling. You're supposed to be the world champion. That's what Sorv continuously wants to become. Samoa Joe's kind of in the way because he is a champion. Samoa Joe doesn't want to let go of the championship because he just got it technically in December. So Joe doesn't want to let that go. Hey, man, he's the only one out of this scenario that is literally obsessed with one person. Samoa Joe and Swerve are not obsessed with one another. Hey, man's so a sweat uh, obsessed, excuse me with Swerve, because Hangman has not been able to beat Swerve, but I like the way in which this story is telling from Hangman's side. Hangman would tell Joe that he sides with Joe, because Joe is stating that he doesn't like it being a triple threat, because he wants it to be a one-on-one matchup. He's not cool with this mediocrity. He's not cool with it at all. Hangman would agree with it. He said, whenever I sign my contract to face Swerve last week, it was supposed to be a one-on-one to see who's going to be the normal contender for the AEW World Championship. But with Swerve not being able to beat him, now we're in this scenario. Instead of it just being two guys that actually respect the championship, we have this other guy here, and he points at Swerve. And it's funny, because Hangman has never, in this rivalry between him and Swerve, been able to beat Swerve. And I like how Hangman's able to get a dig at Swerve because Swerve wasn't able to put Hangman away within that 30-minute time limit last week. Instead of Swerve being beaten by Hangman last week, Hangman is literally drilling into Swerve and you didn't beat me last week. You had 30 minutes to beat me and you didn't do it. You see Swerve even kind of looking at Hangman sideways and you can tell that man's getting into Swerve's head. Again, I like the way in which they're telling the story, but I think at Revolution, to make everybody still seem strong and everybody still seem um, credible in the eyes of the fans because that's what they want, and also the eyes of just the character-wise on television. I'm going to constantly say this. At Revolution, I think Samoa Joe should get Swerve into Coquina Clutch And Hangman has an opportunity to break it up, but he doesn't. He realizes that Swerve is about to lose. Swerve is going to be the guy to lose this fall. Not him. And he's going to watch Swerve literally fade to black. Because Swerve isn't going to tap out. Swerve is going to literally just pass out. And Hangman is going to badmouth Swerve as Swerve loses consciousness. And that's how... I feel Samoa Joe will continue being your AEW World Champion and I believe that's the way it should go at Revolution. But again, we'll wait and see with that. Um what else? Uh match-wise, you had Orange Cassidy going against Matt Taven in the Texas Death Match to end the show dynamite, which was a chaotic way and a chaotic match in itself, and I think this should put to rest What people think about Matt Taven, Matt Taven and Arch Cassidy, they really showed out. You had thumbtacks in this matchup. You had uh, chains. You had, I want to say, chairs as well. I know you had a table because there was a nasty table spot where Matt Taven posted up a table next to the commentary table. And uh, Arch Cassidy leaned up to it. Taven would literally jump out of the ring and Arch Cassidy would move and Taven's head would hit that table, breaking it in half. And Taven would just get busted open from there. Uh Orange Cassidy, he would win when he would hit uh Matt Taven with a Superman punch or Orange Punch, if you will, with his chain, with his fist wrapped up in chain to beat Taven. And again, this should put the rest. Anybody having any hateful thing to say about Matt Taven? Matt Taven would even do a backstage interview, but you'll see it on their YouTube page or Twitter page, one or two. And Taven just puts everybody to rest, save for the Melvins that haven't even seen me, that just was always online, talking trash about me. This should put to rest because I've been this guy I've always been able to handle and do this type of things. but this is just the tip of the iceberg of what you are capable in going to see of Matt Taven in AEW. So again, Matt Taven able to shut people up there. Hopefully that puts respect on his name with that. Um... Oh, yeah, F- almost forgot to mention Darby Allen. Darby Allen and the Young Bucks. Young Bucks, or better known as Matthew and Nicholas Jackson. They're not going by the Young Bucks, they're just going by their government name since they're EVPs and they're really leaning into it. Uh, the EVPs beat Top Flight by cheating, by kicking, uh, I want to say it was Darius in the nuts, and then hitting the EVP trigger to beat. Top flight after the match. The EVPs had a conversation with Tony Schiavone in the middle of the ring. They would declare themselves the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Which is funny because with AEW having the rankings back, the EVPs to stroke their own ego and to pull the power play, they put themselves as number one contenders. And I would like to see what Tony Khan is going to say because Tony Khan never makes a television like... Appearance unless he has to make a big announcement. He always has his wrestling news go through Tony Schiavone. So, when this thing between Darby Sting kind of ends at Revolution, because this is going to be Sting's farewell matchup, and you're going to kind of see the Young Bucks probably even use their power in that match, maybe. I would like to see Tony Khan within the following week or weeks after that match. Like, send messages to Tony Schiavone and have him just kind of overpower what the EVPs say. Again, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with that. But, anyhow, uh, the EVPs, they claim themselves as a new number contenders for the tag titles. Uh, Nicholas, he would get at Tony Schiavone and say how Tony Schiavone has been bad-mouthing them on commentary. He would uh, hit Tony with a... I believe, a $1,000 fine, and even shove Tony to the mat. Matt Jackson, Matthew Jackson, would uh kind of stop Nick and try to help out Tony Schiavone and say, hey, my brother Nicholas, he just got a little bit uh, overzealous. He kind of overstepped. And you see him extend his hand out to Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone, he would take it. And you think that he's about to get help lifted up. But no, as soon as Tony Schiavone is getting up, Matthew would kind of sit Tony Schiavone back down on his knees and you see Nick Nicholas uh, grab Tony's other arm and you know where this is going because you even hear Excalibur and Taz like, oh, no, 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 no. The EVPs are about to do their EVP trigger on Tony Schiavone, but then you see Darby Allen. he would rush down to the ring and Darby would rush down to the ring with a baseball bat and you see the EVPs leave the ring. And you see them at the ramp. And Darby, he would just go and cut right into EVPs about how they have changed. They're not the same people from who they were at the beginning of AEW. You know when I was homeless and AEW first started, I begged you guys for a job.
1: And you saw nothing in me. Yet I had to sit by and watch all your shit friends get hired. You little California crew. And thank God, thank God, at the time there was an EVP here with a sense of brains. And I'm not talking about Kenny Omega. You know, you did a you did a little interview last year why you resigned to AEW, and what did you say in that interview, huh? Tell us. I remember this. wait. this is you guys said that you resigned because the travel schedule was light, the money was good. It was no longer about changing the world. The original mission statement was dead. I thought this was all elite wrestling, but it looks like this is uh, all friendship wrestling. You know why? Think, think about the very first episode of Dynamite. Darby Allen wasn't on it. You know who was? Brandon Collar, what the? F- I don't know what kind of tussles you guys got into at home school, but we're talking about Sting's final match. That's what this is about, right? You guys want to be Sting's final match. Young Bucks, Darby Allen, and Sting, the AEW Tag Championship.
0: It's showtime. So there you have it. Darby Allen, as I said, he was not too pleased with the EVP, so he had to give them a little bit of peace in their minds. And it's kind of funny still how AEW still is entrenched with Cody or Cody's in the fabrics of AEW. There's no way you can rip that away. I like how Darby did mention how he begged the Young Bucks at one point in his career to get himself hired, but they didn't see none in him. And Cody was the guy to bring him in because that would lend credibility into what the EVPs are doing, what Matthew and Nicholas are doing now. Again, playing into their persona, being the guys that are just being complete jag-offs to uh, individual talent, the younger talent, like the way they were to Top Flight and Darby Allen just mentioned this here, just kind of leads credence into this whole EVP jerk off uh, positions that they're in. So I like how Darby mentioned that. I know certain people weren't too happy with it, but again, it does an at least credible ability into what this new character uh, metamorphosis of the EVPs are. So I like that. And again, I'm still not too, I'm still got to let this whole EVP stuff play out. Again, I'm still going to constantly say it, this thing would have worked way better if they would have did this in early 2023 when CM Punk was there, because this is literally the Young Bucks literally just leaning into what the rumors and allegations of them have been for several of years. And Punk was just the guy to bring out all these allegations to the world, or at least The Punk situation kind of brought out all these allegations to the AEW faithful's uh, front view. So it would have worked way better, I believe, in my opinion. and I believe in the business sense for AEW to have done this when CM Punk was there. But since he's not, again, I got to let this EVP stuff ride out before I give my full uh, opinion on it. But so far, so good for what they're doing, for what their uh, characters are doing right now on television. But uh That match was made official. Darby Allin and Sting will be defending their AEW World Tag Team titles against um, the EVPs at Revolution. Also on Dynamite, I forgot to mention this too. Kanosuke Takesha. he'll be going against Will Ospreay at Revolution because Don Callis would put it so eloquently. Nobody in AEW wants to face... He's beaten Kenny Omega twice. He's beaten Chris Jericho. He's at the top of the game right now. Nobody wants to step up. So, Don Callis kind of made the call and he made the executive decision to have in house friendly competition. Since Will Ospreay is a part of the Don Callis family, Will Ospreay will go against Kenosuke Takeshita at Revolution. And I think that's going to be a straight-up just a fire matchup between T- uh, Takeshita and Will Ospreay. This will be Osprey's first match under the AEW banner where is an AEW full-time contractual wrestler. So I think that's going to be something, and I think the story in which they're going to tell in that match and after that match is going to be interesting as well. Because if Tekeshda loses to Will Osprey, I think Takeshta is going to feel some way to Osprey and even attack Will Osprey after the fact, and we'll get a little bit more than just in-house fighting between Osprey and Tekeshda. I think Osprey might dip from the Don Callis family, or if Tekeshda wins, in which I think he will win by shenanigans from Don Callis, because Don Callis see Takeshta as his big meal ticket. In the future, I think he sees Will Ospreay as the present meal ticket. I think Takeshita is like Don Callis' down-the-line meal ticket. And Don Callis helps uh, Takeshita beat Will Ospreay. I think, again, you're going to get more in-house fighting from the Don Callis family. And, again, Will Ospreay is still going to dip. I think Osprey is dipping from the Don Callis family in general at Revolution. I think we're still going to have a great match, just the way how they're going to end it who's going to win is going to be the real entertaining part to come out of that. But that match was made official on Dynamite. We still got the continuation of Tony Storm and Diana Perrazzo. Tony Storm, she will make uh tattoo alterations to her in Diana Perazzo's matching tattoos that they got years ago. She got like a dagger uh, like puncturing into their duck, I believe that she got. And Deanna Parrazzo, she saw the video package of that. She said she's going to break uh, Tony Storm's arms. So, again, they're continuing along with that, I like, again, the Tony timeless Tony Storm character, which Tony is doing. Uh, so that's continuing going on. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, Adam Copeland, he went against Dale Garcia. This was supposed to be for who's going to be the normal contender for Christian Cage at Revolution. Uh, you saw the patriarchy come down there. Christian, uh, Luchasaurus, Nick Wayne, and even Nick Wayne's mother, Mother Wayne, would come down there. They beat him on Dale Garcia, but they really went to work on Adam Copeland. You saw Luchasaurus hit Adam Copeland with a clothesline behind the neck. You see Nick Wayne hit him with Wayne's World. You saw Christian hit Adam with a concerto. So I think this is going to put Adam out for. Uh, a couple weeks, and you won't see Adam on TV, and this will leave Daniel Garcia to challenge Christian Cage for the TNT Championship at Revolution, it was not made official, but I can see next week on Dynamite, they kind of make that official, Um, anything else on Dynamite that happened this week that was noteworthy, I don't think nothing else to be specific with you, so yeah, I think that's about it, oh yeah, Warlow, he's still not injured. He came out with a knee brace. I talked about how Warlo, uh knees buckled a good couple of weeks ago whenever he had his match with Commander. And for Warlow to come out here wearing a knee brace, I was happy to see that. He beat a jobber. So we're probably going to see Warlow uh, climb the ranks of the AEW World Championship uh, picture soon. And I did like this, by the way. Backstage, uh, you did not see Adam uh, Cole with crutches. So I think we're moving into Adam Cole, probably start walking down to the ring without crutches. I think he's going to be able to start walking more on with his regular foot and also still have the boot. We haven't seen that yet on Dynamite. I think that's coming within the probably, I'll say, month or two. We're going to be seeing Adam Cole would just start walking, probably just with one crutch, not with the two crutches, as he's been doing, or even the wheelchair. So... Yeah, they could still continue with the Undisputed Kingdom as well. I believe now that should be it for AEW Dynamite News. Now, moving off of that, let's get into WWE. Again, we're still in the whole uh, WrestleMania season. We're moving into Elimination Chamber. The Elimination Chamber for the men's would be completed this week. Already, we had Drew McIntyre who beat Sami Zayn last week. Oh, no, Drew McIntyre beat AJ. Um, Excuse me. And Randy Orton, he beat Sami Zayn last week. They were into the uh, Elimination Chamber. They were the only two men that were already solidified for the Elimination Chamber exiting last week's uh, week of WWE. And this week, we had the remaining four matches to figure out who's going to be the other four men to enter that chamber with Randy and Drew. You had Bobby Lashley going against Bronson Reed on Raw, and Bobby beat Bronson. LA Knight, he beat... Ivar on Raw. You had Kevin Owens, who defeated Dominik Mysterio on SmackDown. You had Logan Paul, who defeated The Miz on SmackDown. So now the men's Elimination Chamber for the World Heavyweight Championship match at WrestleMania has been determined for Perth in Elimination Chamber. So you have Drew, Randy, Bobby, LA Knight, Kevin Owens, and Logan Paul. That's been situated. The women's Elimination Chamber on the other end, that's different. Uh, So far, we have Becky in there. Bianca Belair in there, Liv Morgan, she won her match this week against Zoe Starks, Tiffany Stratton, she won her match this week against Selena Vega, and Naomi, she was originally supposed to go against Shotzi, but Shotzi, she got herself injured at NXT, because NXT, the upcoming episode that you're going to see this upcoming Tuesday, Shotzi went against Lyra Valkyria, and she got herself injured in that match. And that kind of took Shotzi out of the match this week with Naomi. So that's the reason why Naomi had to go against Alba Fire. And Naomi beat Alba Fire this week. So in the Women's Elimination Chamber matchup, you have Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Tiffany Stratton. And on this upcoming episode of Monday Night Raw, you will have a battle royal, a last chance battle royal for the people that lost their Qualifying matches, they'll be in that battle royal. And whoever wins that, they'll be the sixth participant in the Women's Elimination Chamber matchup. Uh, Continuing on from there, on Raw, we had Cody Rose. He came out and he talked to the fans because Cody is feeling the high from the people choosing him. And Cody still feeling the high of going after Roman Reigns, saying that he's picking Roman Reigns from the press conference they had Last Thursday, and Cody is just essentially just thanking the fans for helping him make that decision. Cody would uh go after The Rock for slapping him at the press conference. He tells The Rock that now he has to go after The Rock now. And you can kinda tell where this thing is leading up to, especially with Seth Rollins. Rollins would come out to the ring and he would ask Cody a very important question. And that question would be, what's your plan? What's your plan, Cody? Because last year, you got
2: screwed out of the title in the main event of WrestleMania. The Usos were there. Paul Heyman was there. Solo was there. Roman Reigns. You couldn't get the job done, but you fought your way back. You won the Royal Rumble again. Deck stacked against you just the same. Except now, the bar has been raised. Because you're not just dealing with Heyman, and Solo, and Jimmy, and Roman. You are dealing with the biggest star. The most influential man in the entire entertainment industry. You've got to deal with a rock. Which is why I came out here, Cody, to tell you, You do not have to fight this battle alone. Now you and I, we haven't always seen eye to eye, but a couple weeks back, you told Roman Reigns you didn't just want to take his title from him. You wanted to take everything from him, and deep in my soul, I felt that. And that is why at the press conference, when The Rock laid hands on you, I stepped up because I am sick and I am tired of people like The Rock, of people like Roman Reigns, these arrogant, entitled pricks who think they can do whatever they want. They can throw their weight around, make any decision they want with no consequence. I am sick and tired of them always getting away with it. When it comes to fighting The Rock, when it comes to fighting Roman Reigns, there is only one man on earth who is uniquely suited to be your shield. I'll give you a hint. He was once an architect, he is now a visionary, he is
0: a revolutionary. So there's Seth giving Cody an answer to that question of what is Cody's plan. Seth is offering his services to be Cody's shield. And I did like how Cody, well, not Cody, excuse me. uh, Seth really made sure that Cody understood that you need someone watching your back. You need someone like me. I've been around Roman Reigns. I've been around Roman when he first came into the main roster. Me and him rode up in the main roster together. I taught him the, everything that he is, uh, capable of. I like how Seth is really tying that stuff all together, and it makes sense for the people that were complaining about why Seth was at the press conference and stood there and just allow all that stuff to go down with Cody in The Rock, and how he didn't leave off the stage. I like how this basically ties all that in because Cody is one man. He needs someone, and Cody's too, not going to say too proud, but the character of Cody isn't going to really just, like, ask for help like that. He'd rather take on everything head-on by himself in a martyr-type like way, and you have Seth over here who sees all this, and he can be the shield for Cody, but Seth, if people still remember this, he is an opportunist. Seth, at the moment, he needs the spotlight to be on him as well, because guess what? He is essentially still playing second or even third fiddle to what everybody's doing right now. You have Cody and Roman being the legit big centerpiece, and big crown jewel for the WWE right now, because that's the match going into WrestleMania. You have The Rock being the guy who is coming into WWE, who's supposed to have that match with Roman Reigns, which I'm about to get into for a minute, because The Rock, he would come to SmackDown and have some words for not just Cody, but for the rest of the WWE Universe as well, but I'll get to that in a minute. But you have The Rock coming back as well here at WrestleMania, and you were supposed to have Rock and Roman, but that didn't happen, because Cody threw a monkey wrench into that, and now you get to Cody and Roman again. And Seth, he's still kind of the odd man out, out of everything of the big, big picture here. This is a way for Seth to throw his hat in the ring and for everyone to notice him yet again. And for Seth to show out and again, take this moment to be an opportunist. So people got to really remember it. still... Seth Rollins, the character, he is an opportunist. You saw it from him backstabbing his brothers in the shield. You saw him from taking that opportunity to join the authority and be their top golden boy for him to be the WWE champion. By the way, by cashing in at WrestleMania on who? Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Again, opportunistic from them moving there to when he came back from his knee injury. What did he do? He went after Roman Reigns for the WWE championship. I remember that. That's an opportunistic moment. And then, guess what? He still continued with the opportunistic as his career went on and on. I think that's what's being forgotten by a lot of people. Seth is an opportunist. So, this is a way for him to jump his hat and put his name back in the big spotlight for everyone to notice him. And also for Seth to lift up that Royal Heavyweight Championship at the exact same time. So, Seth, he's smart by putting his name and saying that he wants to be the shield for Cody. I think he's doing it not just for Cody's sake, but also for his sake as well. Um, anyway, that happened on Monday Night Raw with a continuation of Cody, but moving over into Smandown with the continuation for the bloodline, the continuation for Cody, and all that stuff that incumbents it. You would have The Rock and Roman Reigns with Jimmy Solo and Paul coming down to the ring. Rock, he's out here, and he has like a makeshift version of his. $2000 uh shirt that he wore some years ago so you get this uh mix of Hollywood rock and the old rock being here in the middle of the ring and rock he would just lay in to Cody and how he feels how Cody's story is stupid and how everybody had the opportunity of a lifetime to see Roman and himself go at it at WrestleMania, but they just flushed it because they want Cody so bad. The Rock and Roman Reigns, the biggest, the
3: biggest WrestleMania main event in the history of WrestleMania. You had it in your hands and you let it go. You flushed it down the toilet. The same toilet you sat your fat asses on, and you sat there and tweeted, we want Cody, we want Cody, Cody's gotta finish his story. He's gotta finish his story. You're laughing now and you're booing because you know it's true. Let The Rock ask you a question. What is Cody's story? What is the story? Let The Rock make it clear, my cousin Roman Reigns, the Universal Champion, beat cody's ass last year at wrestlemania he beat him cody lost the match and now all of a sudden cody wants a rematch that's not how it works the real world doesn't work like that you don't get a shot at another story just because you want it that's not how it works and you don't understand that you don't understand that because you're spoiled entitled little crybaby bitches cody rhodes make one thing perfectly clear the rock is going to do everything in his power to make sure that you walk out of wrestlemania what you are which is a loser everything in his power to make sure that happens cody your story is just ending our story is just beginning the bloodline the most powerful dominant duo in sports and entertainment and of course in the wwe if you're some man
0: What the bloodline is cooking. And there you have the bloodline now officially together. Rock is with Roman, Solo, Jimmy, Paul, at least in ideology. Because if you saw it on SmackDown, you saw at least there was still some space between Roman and his group of Jimmy, Solo, and Paul, and The Rock, who's just by himself. You still saw like there was still some space between them. But they would end up throwing up the ones in the air, at least Roman side did. When Roman didn't see was The Rock, he threw up the one, but he kind of put the thumb down with there too to make an L. So this could be a nice little Easter egg for everybody to really replay back after WrestleMania. Because I still th- think that there is going to be a part in this where The Rock is probably going to turn on Roman because Roman is going to get overzealous at one point. Because The Rock and Roman, yes, they were supposed to have this match at WrestleMania. They're supposed to crown who's going to be the head of the table. But now with Rock kind of being top dog right now, because even Roman Reigns' character throughout SmackDown, you kind of could tell how he was like taking the back seat to The Rock, even when Rock was doing his whole promo. Roman didn't say much. He just literally just stood to the side and allowed Rock to speak. Roman's kind of playing the second fiddle here. I think at WrestleMania, because I think we probably might lead into a tag match on night one or whatever may come of it, because The Rock is definitely going to wrestle. He's wrestling somebody at WrestleMania. That's happening. So I think we probably might get a Seth and Cody going against The Rock and Roman night one. I think Roman might be working two nights. It might be crazy to think, but that's just me thinking here. Um, I think if they do do the tag match, I think Rock is going to turn on Roman or... Walk away from Roman because Roman is gonna get overzealous because Roman likes to be the head. He wants to be the top dog, top guy at the table. And I think that's gonna come bite him in the butt at WrestleMania times, but they still got some weeks to still build to it. But um if you just see it on SmackDown, you just see The Rock is not too side by side. There's still space between it. But again, they're gonna build into that. Um I did like how The Rock mentioned How that's not how life works. How you can't just go after somebody um, after you just lost. And that's perfect bad guy uh, glossing over a significant fact of something. It's just the bad guy cherry picking something. That's what The Rock did here. It's classic uh, villain storytelling. What he forgot to mention to the people was that Cody won the flipping Royal Rumble for the second time back-to-back, this so Cody has a right to challenge for any championship that he wants to, and Rock, like, failing to mention that was perfect bad guy, so again, I have a feeling Cody's going to mention that next week on Raw, and he's just basically going to say how the Rock didn't make sense, but again, they're going to figure all that stuff out, but yeah, grand scheme of WWE right now, we still got the Cody business with Roman Reigns, and now you add The Rock, and now you add Seth Rollins, and I think again, we're going to get a tag matchup, I think we're going to get the announcement of Cody and Seth challenging The Rock and Roman at Elimination Chamber for Royal Rumble, not Royal Rumble, God, uh, WrestleMania, because Cody and Seth are supposed to be on the Grayson Waller Effect at the Elimination Chamber event next week, so I think that challenge might be thrown out there, we still got some time for that, but yeah, that's the big overarching thing still going on at WWE. The little side or mini points that's going down in WWE as well is uh, Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, he lost to Shinsuke Nakamura on the main event of uh, Raw thanks to a disturbance from Drew McIntyre. and the scenes that they're really playing up to, they have no idea what they want to do for Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn is just... Stuck in a rut, he's trying to figure out how he's going to make it to uh WrestleMania. It seems that Sammy's kind of like in that Seth Rollins spot what was it two years ago? So I think they might throw Sammy something, either Sammy might go against Gunther or he might get a world championship opportunity at WrestleMania. I have no idea, but that's a little side plot, side point that they're doing for WWE right now. They're giving Sammy something. So Sammy should get a match at WrestleMania if he doesn't get injured. God bless. Hopefully he doesn't. Um, Big things that happened on NXT you had Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin win against Tony D'Angelo with Stacks. So Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin are your new NXT tag team champions. Uh, that would kind of subside into SmackDown where Baron, nope, not Baron, Braun. God, both Baron and Braun. I get my tongue tied between the two guys. Pause. Uh, Braun Breaker, he would sign a SmackDown contract. So, Braun Breaker is a SmackDown contract guy now. So, it's going to be real interesting how that's going to work with Braun and Baron being a tag team change for NXT. But, Braun being a SmackDown competitor is going to be real interesting I probably might see them dropping the titles as Stand and Deliver. Maybe we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Uh, AJ Styles, they're continuing on with AJ and the OC business. They kind of dab their hands in there from time to time, whether they want to continue telling that story with AJ, with Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, Mia. Uh, they continue that here. We saw Mia Yim and Carl Anderson Luke Gallows going over to AJ, who was still brooding in the corner, asking AJ, is everything all right? AJ wouldn't answer. Carl would say, why are we asking him this? He doesn't seem to care anyway. And you see AJ get up in Carl's face and like push him. And you see Carl wants to get face to face with AJ and uh, Luke and medium had to stop him. And you just see how this is causing some rift between everybody. And again, I don't know what's going on here with that. I don't know if this is one big swerve to try to make Carl Anderson, Lou Gallows more, uh, angry or whatever may have you. I don't know. I just know that again, this is another spoiler. If you're going to watch NXT next week, cause I looked at the spoilers cause NXT, they taped their episode, uh, this week. Cause again, as I told you already, Shashi she got injured on the upcoming episode of NXT. Uh, Chase U, Andre Chase, Duke Hudson, they would attack by Carl Anderson and Luke Gallo. So, Carl Anderson and Luke are going to be on NXT next week. and They're probably going to be on NXT for the following weeks to come. Probably to help up build Chase U, maybe. I don't know, but they're going to be there. So, I think they're going to, again, dibble and dabble with that, with the Carl Anderson, Luke Gallo stuff. I just want to know what they're doing with them and AJ. Because, again, you have these guys. You have AJ who formed this group. I don't know what they're doing. Again, they're playing loosey-goosey with that. Hopefully, we get an answer with that within upcoming weeks. Uh, They had a great six-man tag matchup on Monday Night Raw, which leads into next week. Jey Uso going against Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. I thought that match would have an elimination chamber. But, nope, they're doing that on Monday Night Raw. So, we're getting that next week. Uh... I believe that's about it. Oh, yeah. Jade, she was on SmackDown, too. It seemed like she was going to sign her contract to be a SmackDown wrestler, but we didn't get the official announcement that Jade is a part of the SmackDown roster. Again, we might see Jade pop up on Raw. I have no idea. We're going to have to wait and see and find out with that. Um, Anything else of importance to really come out of WWE news uh, storyline-wise? Oh, yes. We still did not get Trick Williams and Ilya Dragunov. They were not on NXT. This week, they were out still. Carmelo Hayes is still being the guy in NXT. He's still being like the number one hated guy because he took out both Ilya and Trick. So we're still continuing that. I still think we're probably going to get a triple threat match between these three guys as standing liver for the NXT championship. That's just me. We probably might not get that, but I think we will. Because Ilya is going to want a piece of mellow. Trick is going to want a piece of mellow which is going to kind of cause conflict between Ilya and Trick. So, again, I think we're going to get a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver there. But, uh, yeah, I just want to also make note that Trick and Ilya, they weren't here on NXT this week as well. So, again, they're still kind of playing into that. It's going to be a real big ovation whenever Trick comes back because everybody in NXT actually does love Trick. Uh, and for Trick and Mello to do their business, and they're going to have their business at Stand and Deliver, I still think Ilya will the triple threat, but if they have a one-on-one, I think people are gonna really hype into that. But again, they still got weeks to build into that as well. Um anything else, by the way, NXT wise or WWE in General. Uh I think that's about it. So that was your WWE news. Now moving over into New Japan. As I said, New Japan had their new beginnings uh event that happened last week. We had new tag team champions being crowned. Uh, Kenta and Chase Owens, with the help of Taichi Ishimori, they are your new IWGP World Tag Team Champions. When they defeated uh, Hikaleo and ELP, that's Elf and for the people that are not aware of who ELP is. Um, so Kenta and Chase Owens are your new IWGP World Tag Team Champions. Okada, he defeated roshi tanahashi, this is their last time meeting with one another as Okada is leaving New Japan. He still has one more match, I believe to still as a contracted new Japan star that has happened within the next coming weeks uh same thing with Tamatanga. I thought Tamatanga he was going from New Japan, but no, he's still there. He's gonna have his farewell matchup up is gonna be him and his brother. Tungaleo going against his other brother, Hikaleo, and ELP is going to be GOD, Gorillas of Destiny, going against the Gorillas of Destiny. So that's going to be uh, good within the coming weeks to happen as well. You had Zack Sabre Jr. getting his one up on Brian Danielson. They had their matchup. Um, it was solid. I like their match at Russell Dream more, probably because you had the commentary of John Moxley and Nigel McGinnis getting into it. That's probably me. But. Zack Saber Jr. He beat Brian Danielson, and he beat him with a pinning maneuver, which is funny because Zack Saber Jr. After their match at WrestleDream, Dream, he kind of was like a bratty pissy kid who was upset and said that they were supposed to have a match of technical ability of technical wits, and for Brian to win their match at WrestleDream Dream with a pinfall, he didn't like it, and he wanted to tap out Brian Danielson, but he couldn't tap out Brian Danielson here, so he had to win with a pin. I think their rubber match that they're going to have, and they will have a rubber match, they're going to have a submission match. I think that's going to happen. But Zack Sabre Jr., he picked up the win on Brian Danielson here. Um, yeah, let me just move over into the cage match that we had at New Japan. It was basically their version of war games. You had the War Dogs, the Bullet Club War Dogs, who's led by David Finley, who had Alex Coglin, Gabe Kidd, um, Clark Connors, and Drilla Maloney going against Will Ospreay's group, the United Empire, who was captained by Will Ospreay, who had uh, Francisco Akira, TJP, Aaron Hanare, and Jeff Cobb. This match went on for a solid hour and some change. I think Thought to myself, I was watching this. I was like, okay, yo dog, this is going on longer than I expected. 40 minutes would have been sufficient. But they went an hour long. And it's not like it was constant action. Like, they were doing certain things that took some time that ate up certain things. Like, towards the end of the match, right? They start unraveling the ring. And really showing off what the ring is consisted of. They start pulling back the mat. They pulled off the foam the buffalos of the foam to expose the wooden planks that they're getting their bodies slammed on and they were start slamming each other onto the wooden planks and i thought to myself okay this is japan and i get it they really do the strong style stuff they really want the audience to believe in what they're doing and i get it fine cool however you guys do know you guys are slamming each other on wooden planks you guys do know that in wrestling, your body has only so many bumps it can take before you have to start limiting what you can do in that ring. I don't think it was, like, the most brilliant idea to slam each other on planks, but, hey, it made for brutality, and I get it. This is not an everyday occurrence. You get a War Games or Steel Cage-type match in New Japan, so you want to do something big and special, and that's the way you wanted to do it, and it's Will Ospreay's... Uh, go-out matchup in New Japan as a New Japan contract star. so you guys just want to throw everything balls to the walls there. I get it. However, it's just not the smartest idea to do that. I feel that they could have ended it earlier, but, hey, it is what it is. David Finley and his team, they won. I will say it was a bloody mess. Uh You had Gabe Kidd who bled. You had... Uh, Drilla Maloney, who bled. Clark Connors, he bled. I'm not certain if David Finley bled. I don't think he bled. Um, anybody else from over there? Nope. And I believe that's it from uh, the War Dog side that bled. United Empire, Will Ospreay, he bleed, or bled, excuse me. Uh, Akira, he bled. Jeff Cobb, he didn't bleed. Aaron Hanari, he didn't bleed. TJP, he didn't bleed, but he did come back with his alternate ego that he debuted at russell kingdom i'm not so certain of what this alternate uh ego is again i tap into new japan when i can but uh this alternate ego this is his second time i want to say he showed off this uh side of himself but again it is what it is good match for what they were able to do Uh, Will Ospreay, he had this nice sentimental moment with the New Japan crowd after the match. Uh, He said that with his new contract with AEW, he will be able to come back and still compete obviously, but he doesn't know when that's going to be the case for him because he got to get himself situated in AEW and all that good stuff. But he does let everyone know that this is not the last time that they will see of him. He got uh, the hero send off from the crowd and I did like that. A part of me thought, during this match, I thought they were going to give the match to the United Empire. And I get it. It's in a wrestling trope. just want to let everyone know here. Whenever you're leaving a company and you're in a rivalry with someone, the thing is you're supposed to lose. You're supposed to lose to the rival that's going to be there. So that person can have that credibility of saying they took you out, they made you leave, all that good stuff. Give them some credibility, but as this match continued to go on, you saw the United Empire go against the War Dogs. You saw the United Empire even fought, and how the War Dogs were getting their butt beats. Like towards the end, I thought, "Oh snap, they're giving Will Ospreay the win here," because he was kind of the guy to lead New Japan through the pandemic era, be outspoken for New Japan, and all that type of stuff. But nope. Uh, Will Ospreay, he did business, and he did it the right way. He left by giving David Finley the credibility to say that he took him out. So, hey, congrats to Will. Congrats to New Japan. Congrats to everybody involved in that matchup. Again, I think they should have shaved off some minutes in there, and I think they should never have took those bumps onto that wooden plank. I still feel that way right now. But, hey, it's their body. is their way, that, what they want to use it for. But, amen, hey, man, still a great match, though. Um, if you haven't seen it, go check it out any way that you can. Uh, anything else from New Japan I do want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that's it. Now, moving off of New Japan, I have to talk about the Superstar uh, Spotlight of the Week since we're in Black History Month. I am going to talk about a black wrestler that I feel that deserves his flowers. And again, I do want to let everyone know that I did gank and took this uh, concept, this exact segment from a podcast called the Public Enemies Podcast. Three guys that talk about professional wrestling, things in media as well. They are funny guys. Go and check their podcast out, but I did take this segment from them. Um, I want to give flowers to Elijah Burke, or some people know him as the Pope D'Angelo De Niro. uh This was a guy that came around in WWE in the mid 2000s. He started off on the ECW brand uh, Elijah Burke, he was the guy that led the new breed. It was himself, Matt Stryker, uh, Marcus Corvon, Monty Brown, who I gave superstar spotlight of the week last week to. And, uh, what's my man's name? Kevin Thorne. These were supposed to be like the new guys as supposed to usher in ECW and all this type of crap. He was like the figurehead for them. His finishing move was sick. It was literally the running, uh, knees to the back of you whenever you're like, Leaned up to the corner. His, that was sick. Um, Elijah Burke, he was real, real underrated in ECW, and I kind of saw something in Elijah Burke, especially whenever they added him to the video games. He was one of the guys that I really liked to like, that was my guy to play with in WWE 2K8, not 2K18. God, I was saying 2K, WWE, uh, Smash Bros. Raw 2008. It was himself and Monty Brown, Marcus Corvon, Those were like my two guys, and Bobby Lashley. I even put all three of those guys in a group together. But those were like my guys to really play with. Elijah Burke, his striking ability was fun in that game. And just together as a guy, Elijah Burke, he was real different. He wasn't really utilized in WWE to his fullest potential. I think in TNA, when he came back as the Pope D'Angelo De Niro, he was starting to get utilized more. And TNA, they had something with uh, Elijah Burke, D'Angelo De Niro. They had something with him. You saw how they wanted to use him and put him in the main event picture. And I think, just like Monty Brown, they had something, and he was going to be your next uh, TNA World Champion, especially because he had a match with AJ Styles, I believe, at lockdown for the TNA World Championship, and he lost but the story in which they had for him, because he won a uh, I believe a championship contenders uh like tournament to get that opportunity to go against AJ for the TNA World Championship. And the fans, they were behind D'Angelo De Niro. They wanted to see him become TNA champion, and they didn't do it. They didn't give him the win. They I don't understand what was up with TNA. At that time, it felt like they wanted to give him the championship. It felt like they had something with D'Angelo De Niro. The fans were loving D'Angelo De Niro. They were loving what they saw with him. But they just squandered D'Angelo De Niro. Like, they did nothing with him after he failed to beat AJ for the TNA World Championship. They just start putting him in little mini-feuds here and there. But, again, he was his... His full abilities were never, ever properly used, and that's just a shame, because when you look at D'Angelo DiNero, he has the look, he has the body, he has the talking ability on the microphone, and he can wrestle in the ring. Yes, he might not be an AJ Styles, a Samoa Joe, uh, a big powerhouse like Bobby Lashley or certain other guys, but he can get the job done in the ring. But they still did not give him world championship. It's crazy to me. And if you think I'm lying, I'm being serious. Go to YouTube right now, type in Elijah Burke, type in uh D'Angelo De Niro. I would say type in D'Angelo De Niro. His stuff on TNA was actually good stuff. Not saying that his stuff in WWE wasn't good stuff, but you could tell from night and day him starting out in ECW. Like, If you want to see the progression, you can go there with that, but I would say just start with the peak stuff, TNA. When he was doing that stuff, it was peak. Um, D'Angelo De Niro, he was a guy that TNA just, at beginning, they had something for him, but then he just squandered it. And I don't know if it was backstage stuff. I don't know who he didn't, but I don't know who he pissed off or whatever the case may be. But D'Angelo De Niro, he was another guy that should have been world champion. And it's just crazy to me how in TNA's history, right, You only have, if I'm correct, you only have two black guys that were your world champions. You have Ron Killings, and you have Bobby Lashley. Those are your own, oh no, and Moose and Rich Swan. But those are like lady years with Moose and Rich Swan, though. But during that time when you actually had people watching the product, when it was on television for, on a main market, you squandered someone like a Monty Brown. You squandered someone like uh, D'Angelo De Nero. I don't know what was up with TNA at that time, and ugh. I feel that, T- I just feel that D'Angelo Nero, Elijah Burke, should have uh been given more time. He should have been given the opportunity to shine. He should have been given the ability to become world champion, but he did move the commentary. He was able to Showcase his ability, doing a commentary with Josh Matthews later in TNA. He was able to do all that type of stuff. He would dip from TNA. He started doing stuff on an independent route. He even went to NWA, become their NWA World Television Champion uh, during the pandemic era. But D'Angelo De Niro, I think that was a guy that should have gotten some... He should have gotten some light. either either in WWE in ECW where they were still building up people and that was technically their on-television developmental brand. He should have been ECW World Champion there so they could have really developed him more. Or in TNA, when he was D'Angelo De Niro, he came in there and the fans were digging him and the fans were loving on him. They should have gave him the TNA World Championship as well. I feel that, and again, if you watch his stuff, I feel that the people will come to that consensus as well. So that's the reason why I'm giving D'Angelo Lanero the spotlight and giving him his flowers. Again, his talking ability is A1 to me. He was one of the great talkers that I think that people will forget. Um, His style when he walked to the ring was different. And his ability, and especially, again, the finisher, the running knees and the velocity in which he did it, it was so different. You just felt the impact, and when his knees hit you in the back, that stuff sucked. And I believe there's a uh, there was a gif going around, if people remember this. It was the new breed going against Team ECW. And Elijah Burke, he hit the running knees to the back of, I believe it was Sabu and it smash through a table, that moves body through the table. You just hear the velocity in which he did it. It sounded ferocious, and again, it added impact to what D'Angelo De Niro, Elijah Burke, was doing in ECW. So again, that showcased you right there, that he should have been world champion in ECW or in TNA. But again, it just feels like they just dropped the ball, both WWE and TNA, so that's the reason why I am giving him his flowers, so the Superstar of the Week for me personally. Elijah Burke, D'Angelo De Niro, I'm giving him his flowers. Now, with that being said, that is your Wrestling Highlights of the Week from my Two Cents podcast. I hope everybody has a great Saturday. I want everyone to remember this. I have a midweek episode that's out right now. I talked about the Super Bowl, and I talked about Valentine's Day. That came out Wednesday. If you haven't heard it, go listen to that. And also, tomorrow, Sunday, I will be talking about stuff that happens In the news this week, I'll be talking about the Kansas shooting tragic that happened. I'll talk about the shooting that happened at Joel Osteen's church. I'll be talking about a variety of other different things, but those are the first two that comes to mind. Um, But I'll be talking about other things that happened in the week as well. That'll be your Sunday episode. If you like to listen to news or you miss some things in the news, you have that to listen to tomorrow. Um, Other than that... Uh, next week's wrestling highlights of the week I'm not certain if I want to do it or not I'm not certain because with SmackDown being taped and uh, the Elimination Chamber literally happening at 5am in the morning on Saturday I'm not so certain if wrestling highlights of the week are going to be dropping next Saturday I probably might roll that all up into the Elimination Chamber review maybe I'll figure that out when next week happens but I'm just giving you guys a little heads up on that Um, anything else I think that's about it. I want everybody to have a great Saturday. Enjoy yourselves. Love, light, and peace to everyone. And have a great day.